Hello and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. I'm your host Stephen and this week we'll be looking at issue number 537, March the 18th, 1995, £1.40. Well, I'm finally over the coronavirus. Um, yeah, that's been and gone. Uh, that was no fun at all. Um, I'll be honest, the symptoms I had weren't actually, weren't actually that bad. It was the it was just a staying in, I'll be honest. Um, I know that the rules in the UK now say that you can go out even if you test positive for coronavirus, but that to me is just pretty stupid. Um, so as a conscientious member of society, you know, I decided that isolation was probably the best thing to do. Um, so yeah, just to, to, I mean, these days I'm a bit more of a homebody than I ever was. That's what happens when you turn 40. Um, but I just find the staying in and the not seeing people as well um, was really, really difficult. A friend of mine who I'd actually gone out to the concert with where we'd caught the coronavirus and he lives just down the road. He was positive um, with coronavirus. So we spent, you know, like one afternoon together. His boiler broke so he came over for a shower. But that was about it, to be honest. I didn't really see anyone for for well over a week. It was just a bit odd, just a bit isolating. I don't know it's isolation, <laughs> but... Just a bit isolating and weird. I'm used to seeing people. I'm used to seeing people at work, you know, after work, things like that. Um, but that's fine. I did what I had to do. Did the right thing. Very sensible. Like I said, conscientious member of society. And that's pretty much all we can do these days. Anyway, we don't want to hear about me and coronavirus. Let's talk about this week's Kerrang! Never a dull moment. And there's uh, Dave Mustaine holding a picture of a doll. Mustaine stops kidding around the ultimate interview. Vote in the Kerrang Awards poll. Meet Skid Row. Binge with Baz and the boys. Seattle Studio Overload. Pageant Plant Zetmen UK Dates. Jim Martin, here is new band. Motley missed marriage. We weren't invited, claimed the crew. Save pounds on albums with Virgin plus Biohazard, Dub War, Warrior Soul and Gun. If you would like to get in contact with us here at Karangback Issues, we can be contacted on Instagram, Karangback Issues, Twitter, KarangPod, and email karangbackissues at gmail.com. If you want to leave us a review at Spotify or Apple Music, that's great. If you don't want to leave us a review, that's not a problem. I don't really care that much. I do care. That's a lie. I do care. Um, there is no singles this week. So, unfortunately, there's no Pearl Jam singing Spin the Black Circle at you. That's sad, isn't it? Let's move on to a swift word from the editor. Onwards and upwards. Kerrang hits your noise stand this week with another first. Yes, in a bid to give you more, this issue we've introduced a Kerrang interview. It's an all-new, all-probing monster read. Face-to-face and in-your-face. This week, we kickstart the challenging chinwag with the ultimate Dave Mustaine interview. Plus this week, we continue our Value for Mayhem campaign. Yes, there's others plenty for all you cranksters out there. Check these out for starters. Quids off with Virgin. Money off Faith No More, Mad Season and Kerrang! The Album Volume 2 albums at Virgin Megastores nationwide. Win a trip to the Kerrang! Awards. Your chance to sit at Funders table at the Kerrang! Awards. See page 33. Here Jim Martin's new band. The ex-Faith No More Fretster's new combo, The Behemoth, are set to tour the UK in April. 100 Kerrang! readers will get to hear his new band first. See page 10. Meet Skid Row. Have a drink with Baz and the boys. See page 34. Along with all the hottest news, reviews and abuse you can handle, we think this week Kerrang! is indeed more than just a magazine. But everything we do is driven by you. We value your thoughts, your ideas and your opinions. Keep them coming. Until next week, stay clean. Phil Alexander editor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven.
Starting this week with Mayhem, the hottest news in metal first. We will fight back, Motley Crue. Motley Crue are ready to blast back. The difficulties between us and Electra have been sorted out. We've got major new management and just wait till you hear our new material roars bass monster Nikki Six. Speaking exclusively to Mayhem from his home in California, Six is candid about the worst year in the crew's history and hugely optimistic about the band's future. He's even prepared to call a halt to hostilities with ex-crew vocalist Vince Neil. We were pissed at Vince at the time because of the things he said about us, he explained. He was slugging us off when he wanted to leave. I'll be honest, what he said hurt us. We're emotional people and wanted to hit back at him, and a war of words just broke out. But it was the fans who really suffered. They didn't know which way to turn. Now I regret the whole sorry business, and now we've moved beyond that sort of pettiness. The crew have also sorted out exactly where they went wrong with their last album, Motley Crew. The situation with us, management and record label became antagonistic because everyone was blaming everyone else for the fact that the album wasn't a huge seller and the fact that seemingly we weren't doing as well on the live circuit as everyone thought we would, reason 6. As far as touring went, we never cancelled the east coast leg of our US tour because ticket sales were poor. We were doing five, 6,000 people per night, which isn't at all bad, is it? The problem was that we were playing in arenas with capacities double our ticket sales, and that was never down to us. When we started out on the road, we, Six, drummer Tommy Lee, guitarist Mick Mars, and vocalist John Karabi wanted to do theatres. We'd been off the road during a period when the whole US music scene had gone through a major upheaval. Nobody has the right to expect to walk right into a sellout arena tour. But others decided that, for image reasons, we had to be seen to go straight into arenas. Hang that shit. I know that I can't expect to do 14 nights at Madison Square Garden, purely because I'm in Motley Crue. All four of us shared that opinion. But because of pressure, we ended up in arenas, doing the sort of numbers that would have guaranteed sold-out notices in theatres. There is a small sidebar in this Motley Crue interview, and because it's Kerrang! at the moment, they can't go a week without not mentioning Pamela Anderson. So, contrary to reports in the nation's tabloids, the rest of the crew weren't at Tommy Lee's Mexican wedding to Baywatch Bay Pamela Anderson. T-Bone dashed down the aisle so fast he didn't have time to invite his crew buddies to the ceremony. Tommy called me up and said, fuck, guess what, I'm getting married in 20 minutes, what do you think of that, recalls Nikki Six. I just told him to go for it. It was just like talking to Beavis or something. It was kind of strange. But T-Bone's very happy and the whole thing is cool, adds the four-stringer. The marriage thing between Tommy and Pamela, from what I can gather, was kind of spontaneous, but that's the sort of guy he is, and I wish him every happiness. Stop Press and Def Leppard's eagerly awaited new studio album, tentatively titled Slang, is now set for an autumn release. The band, who are co-producing the album with Pete Woodruff, have already laid down some 16 songs in the portable studio they've set up in a villa in Spain. The Wild Hearts will finally release their second album, Fuck, on May the 1st. Check out next week's issue for the exclusive details. Deicide will not play any UK dates for the foreseeable future. Main man Glenn Benton claims that no promoter in this country will risk booking the band. More next week. Seattle strikes back. As the first anniversary of Kurt Cobain's tragic death approaches, a whole host of Seattle superstars are about to storm back into action. Indeed, despite all the recent death of grunge notices, the first half of 95 may well belong to the city's premier combos, and the eagerly awaited releases heading your way are coming from the following quarters. Nirvana. Erstwhile colleagues Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl have resumed work on the Nirvana live album they originally shelved last year. However, there's been no word on a release date yet. In the meantime, Grohl is busy getting his new band Foo Fighters off the ground. Grohl now assuming guitar and vocal duties, ex-Nirvana guitarist Pat Smear, bassist Nate Mendel and drummer William Goldsmith played their first two low-key shows last week at the Satyricon in Portland and the Velvet Elvis Art Gallery in Seattle. Pearl Jam even though the Vitology album has only been out a matter of months and the band have just kicked off the accompanying world tour, Eddie Vedder and Carl are working on a new album with the legendary mate Neil Young. So far they've recorded 10 songs, all of them written by Young, at Seattle's Bad Animal Studio. The album, billed as a Neil Young record with Pearl Jammer's backing band, is set for a summer release. A co-headlining tour though is beginning to look unlikely. An Eddie Vedder-less Pearl Jam will also be featured on the soundtrack to the forthcoming movie Basketball Diaries, Guitarist Stone Gossard and Je Mike McCready, bassist Jeff Ament and drummer Jack Irons will uh, back street poet Jim Carroll on two of his songs, People Who Died and Catholic Boy. Soundgarden. Chris Cornell and co are currently preparing material for their next studio album, which they've set to record during the summer. The two newest tracks, Blind Dogs and Carl Petty, Son of Richard, were aired on Pearl Jam's Self-Pollution Radio broadcast back in January. 
The band have also dismissed rumours that they are retiring from touring. They are in fact tipped to headline the last night of this year's Reading Festival. Alice in Chains The troubled foursome have been rehearsing and are set to go into the studio next month to record their third album. So far, they've written a dozen songs and are aiming to release the results by the end of the year. Mud Honey, the veteran combo, released their first new LP in three years, My Brother the Cow on March 27th. Produced by Jack and Dino, it's allegedly the quartet's finest work since 89's eponymous debut. Tad, the heavyweight combo, released their first album for new label Atlantic, Infrared Riding Hood, on April 11th, also produced by Jack and Dino. Screaming Trees, the band have returned to the studio to work on a long-awaited follow-up to Sweet Oblivion. The results of last year's studio sessions have been ditched, apparently in favour of a new approach. The album is set for an autumn release. Butchvig, the man who twiddled the knobs on Nirvana's Nevermind has put together a full-time band called Garbage. They've just released their first single, a stonking slice of popcorn titled Val, and are set to record an album once Vig has finished work on Soul Asylum's forthcoming platter. It will be unleashed in the summer. The Choir Boys will make a one-off live return on March 28th at the Newcastle Mayfair despite a tragic set of events last week. As announced exclusively in Mayhem, Spike's troupe were meant to play a gig to commemorate the 61st birthday of Frank Gray, the singer's father. Sadly, Frank passed away on the weekend of March 4th-5th following a short and sudden illness. Spike knew of the illness when he announced the gig to Mayhem, knowing that it would possibly be the last time his father would see him sing live. At the time, Spike asked us not to communicate the reason for the All-Star Show, whose lineup features members of Thunder, The Almighty, The Wild Hearts, UFO, Honeycrack and more. With Frank's passing, Spike would like it to be known that the gig will go ahead in memory of his father. I've lost my best mate, he said. He helped me every step of the way. I know it's very sad and no one is sadder than me, but the whole night will be a fine send-off. Part of the proceeds from the night will go to the Chin-Up charity which is involved with the terminally ill. All at Kerrang would like to extend their condolences to Spike, the Grey family and all those who knew Frank. Machine Head will be heading back to the UK during May to headline the same venues where they supported Slayer just a few months ago. It's fucking amazing for us to be able to come back and headline places like the Brixton Academy exclaimed main man Rob Flynn. It sure beats playing the 100 Club in London to 50 people. Supporting the head will be two Swedish acts, hardcore rap combo Merry Beach Jane and techno metal mob Mushuga. Both bands were handpicked by Machine Head. Says Flynn, Mushuga are amazing. Usually I'm not a fan of real technical music because it generally sounds so limp, but this lot have the heaviest style ever and Mushuga is Yiddish, ancient Jewish language for crazy person. I told Evan Seinfeld and Billy from Biohazard who are both Jewish, we had a band called Mushuga supporting us and they couldn't believe it. Still, it's a great metal name, isn't it? As for Mary Beach Jane, we played with them at the Astoria in London just before Christmas and they were really good. On May 15th, Flynn, fellow Axe Per Logan Maida, drummer Chris Contos and bassist Adam Juice will have their first ever single old from the Burn My Eyes album issued in the UK. It will be available in three different formats. All the remixes have been done by Frontline Assembly techno wizard Reese Fulber, who's also working with Fear Factory's new album, Demanufacture. Richie Manic Update Police have announced that there have been no confirmed sightings of Richie since February the 1st. According to press speculation, before he went missing, Richie had become fascinated with planning the perfect disappearance. Sally Edwards, a 17-year-old schoolgirl from Swinton, South Yorkshire, has been missing from home since March the 3rd. She was a huge Mannix fan and had apparently broken down when Richie disappeared. Richie has now been missing for 43 days. Jim Martin's The Behemoth hit the UK in April and you can hear exactly what they sound like thanks to the Big Kerrang, one of this heavyweight tour's co-sponsors. Yeah, we're giving away 100 copies of a free track demo by The Behemoth. To stand a chance of getting a copy of this mega metal masterpiece, all you have to do is fill in the form below. The first 100 people to get their forms to us will get a tape. The Behemoth played the following live shows, Glasgow Garage April 2nd, Manchester Boardwalk 3rd, Birmingham Edwards number 8, 4th, Northampton Roadmenders 5th, London Astoria 6th. Page Plant, the legendary ex-Led Zeppelin pairing, have confirmed their long-awaited UK dates. The duo will play the following dates. Glasgow SEC July 12th, Sheffield Arena 13th, Dublin The Point 19th, Birmingham NEC 22nd, London Wembley Arena 25th. The Black Crows will be special guests in Sheffield and Glasgow. Support acts for the other dates have yet to be confirmed. Tickets for all shows are priced at £22.50 or £21 and are on sale now. They are available from the relevant box offices, usual ticket agencies, and also via the following credit card hotlines. Not going to read out the credit card hotlines. 
Postal applications can be made to Mac Promotions, PO Box 501, Harrow, Middlesex, HA2, 9DG. A £1.50 administration charge will be added to the price of each ticket, and all checks POs should be made payable to Mac Promotions. You should also enclose an SAE and allow six weeks for delivery. In addition, a Pageplant tour information line has been set up on 0891 111135. Calls will be charged at 39p a minute cheap rate and 49p per minute at all other times. Pageplant are currently playing a sold-out arena tour in the US where their no-quarter was recently certified platinum for sales in excess of a million copies. Biohazard have been confirmed as one of the headliners of this year's Dynamo Festival in June, and the Brooklyn Bruisers will also head back to the UK this summer for a full tour. The Dynamo Shebang will be held at Eindhoven Airport in Holland from June the 2nd to the 4th. The Hazard will top the bill on the final day with Paradise Lost June 2nd and the reformed original lineup of Black Metal Kings Venom on the third rounding off the other nights. The full lineup for the Feast of Metal Malarkey is still being finalised, but among the acts already confirmed to appear are Machine Head, Warrior Soul, Trouble, Fear Factory, Dub War, Type and Negative, Gripping, Eleven Pictures, Dog Eat Dog, Motor Psycho, Nevermore and Mental Hippie Blood. Weekend tickets cost 25 Dutch guilders, about 10 quid, inclusive of camping and car parking facilities. Caveat here, I cannot believe that Dynamo 95 only cost 10 pounds. That is absolutely ridiculous. There were so many good bands that played this uh, festival. We'll uh, find out when we get there later on in the year. Record news and ACDC, the Aussie Giants, are the latest band to be the subject of a tribute album. As yet untitled, it's being put together by BMG Ariola Interactive in Australia for release during the summer. It will consist of Australian acts only. Those so far confirmed are Electric Hippies performing Whole Lotta Rosie, Anti Anti doing Riff Raff, Friends or Rom TNT, Yotu Yindi Jailbreak, Blitz Babies Livewire, Downtime Walk All Over You, Boot Back in Black. Society, Night Prowler, Fur Big Balls, Quinn Baby Please Don't Go, Nitro Chris Dirty Deeds and Sugarbone Beating Around the Bush. Also likely to appear are Nick Cave and Bad Seeds, Front End Loader, Magic Dirt, Silver Chair, Mark of Cain, Dirty Free, Regurgitator and Fireballs. Doggy Dog, the New York hip-hop funcore band, released a new single through Roadrunner on March 27th. Available in two CD formats, the A-side features a remix of Who's the King, which includes a ragga rap from Daryl Jennifer and the Bad Brains. The two-track CD version adds Pull My Finger Live, whilst the four-track CD has live renditions of Pull My Finger, Think and Doggy Dog. A special CD version of the Allboro Kings LP is to be issued during April in a tinted jewel case, featuring bonus tracks from the Warrant EP and remixes. Mudhoney, the Seattle foursome, released their latest album, My Brother the Cow, through reprise on March 27th. Sonic Youth, the legendary New Yorkers, will have their long, unavailable second album, Confusion is Sex, reissued through Blast First on March 27th. The release will include tracks taken from the Kill Your Idols EP and a previously unreleased live rendition of Breaking Hell. A new single, Rest in Peace, will be released by the fast-rising Brit band Stiltskin through White Water Records on March 20th. It will be available in 7-inch vinyl cassette and CD formats. The guitar god Steve Vai will issue a mini-album titled Alien Love Secrets through Epic on April the 3rd. Tour news and bracket, the Californian abrasive power poppers will be appearing at Windsor Old Trout March 17th, Harlow Square 18th, Brighton Steaming 19th, Reading After Dark Club 21st, London Hybrid and Garage 22nd, Leicester Princess Charlotte 23rd, Edinburgh Venue 24th, Halladelphi 26th, Leeds Duchess of York 27th, Derby Warehouse 28th and the Cambridge Boat Race 29th. The band's debut album 924 Forestville Street has just been released through High Rise. Girl School played Scumfort Baths Hall March 17th and Wokenham Phoenix Plaza on the 27th with free entry. And Guttermouth, the Orange County Punks played dates at London Camden Underworld March 19th, Birmingham Foundry 20th and Derby Warehouse 21st. Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happens, starting this week with Don K in New York. More stories continue to circulate following Courtney Love's recent visit to New York with Hull to tape an unplugged show for MTV. Courtney says her engagement ring from Kurt Cobain was stolen after being shipped to her New York City hotel. 
The ruby and diamond ring was sent to the wrong room at the hotel from LA where it was undergoing repairs. When the package finally arrived at the right room, the ring was missing. The hotel was offered a $10,000 reward for the information leading to its retrieval. And at one of Hull's New York shows, Inga Lore, the ex-nymphs singer, who now leads opening act motel shootout, reportedly threw a mic stand into the crowd and cracked someone's head open. Warrior Soul were once one of the hottest acts on the New York club circuit, but those who caught their recent limelight show swear the band were to all intents and purposes booed off stage by Corey Clark's hometown audience. Worse still, the band's latest album, Space Age Playboys, hasn't even been released in the States. No such problems for Offspring. They rolled into town for three sold-out shows at Roseland with opening at Quicksand in tow. While the buzz afterwards was that all of the shows were solid, high-energy affairs, it seems that the vast majority of the audience hovered somewhere below the age of 12. The kiddie punk movement quite obviously starts here. Fight frontman Rob Halford is yet another rocker who has turned up on a TV chat show. The Metal God was a special guest on Four on the Floor, a weekly program on the VH1 channel that pairs a star with three rock critics for a round of topical debate. The subject was whether or not heavy metal is dead, with Halford bravely defending the faith by proclaiming that his spirit was very much present in a new wave of punk bands sweeping the universe. Of course, he also got in a shameless pug for the forthcoming new fight album, A Small Deadly Space. US News Extra Green Day have now sold an incredible 6 million copies of their Dookie album in the US and it's selling by the hundred thousands each and every week. Even this pales besides Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, which has just notched up 13 million sales in the US, making it the best-selling hard rock album of all time. Slash and his Snake Pit, by contrast, ended the Billboard charts at a dismal number 70 with their It's 5 O'Clock Somewhere platter before plummeting down to 105 the next week. We now join Lisa Johnson in LA. The 37th annual Grammy Awards have just been held in LA and the results were typically boring. Still, aside from the usual ocean of MOR nonsense, there were a few metal-tastic moments. Soundgarden won two awards for Spoon Man Best Metal Performance and Black Hole Sun Best Hard Rock Performance, Aerosmith's Crazy won Best Rock Group Performance, Green Day's Dookie nabbed the Best Alternative Music category and Henry Rollins, who performed Liar in a Tuxedo and Bare Feet, walked off with a Best Spoken Word Performance for his Get In The Van On The Road With Black Flag collection. Stone Temple Pilots bald baller Scott Wyland has put together a sideband. It's called The Magnificent Bastards and features his brother Mike and I Love You Jeff Nolan on lead guitars. Circle Jerk Xander Schloss on bass and Sam I Am's drummer Vic Indrizzo. They've already recorded a tune for the upcoming Tank Girl soundtrack which is being compiled by Courtney Love with Masters of Reality's Chris Goss producing. Wyland was apparently so excited by the result that he ran out and bought everyone tuxedos. And finally, Everyone is wondering just who will take the stage this summer on the annual Lollapalooza Shindig. Speculation is currently rife that whole Cypress Hill, White Zombie and Rancid, to name a few, will be involved. Offspring have apparently been begged to do the tour, but according to several sources, are expected to turn down the offer due to prior commitments. Beaver, <laughs> you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! Next up in Kerrang! is Concerts, and the first concert reviewed this week is Megadeth and Corrosion of Conformity live at the Ulster Hall Belfast, Thursday, March 9th. Reviewed by Paul Brannigan, this gets a static out of 5, 3 out of 5. The first decent metal show in Belfast for months, and it clashes with the Beastie Boys, who are also in town. Good call, Mr. Promoter. As a consequence, Corrosion of Conformity take the stage to a half-full hall, and for a time it looks as if they shouldn't have bothered at all. The North Carolina troupe have undergone numerous transformations over the years, and quite frankly, they do very little corroding of conformity these days. Buy their Black Sabbath t-shirt, shall ye know them. The audience's obvious unfamiliarity with the Deliverance album, coupled with a muffled sound mix, renders thickly corded belters clean my wounds and pearls before swine impotent. Corrosion of Conformity throw all the right shapes, Guitarist Woody Weatherman in particular fine finger pointing form, but it's all bark and no bite initially. But just when it appears that Corrosion of Conformity are blustering into tedium, the quartet pull out a storming finish. Vote with a bullet is big, clever and bloody furious. Actually, vocalist guitarist Pepper Keenan bellowing out his own gruff democratic manifesto, while too sexy for his drum kit Reed Mullin goes into blonde blur mode. Albatross keeps up the pressure, all dense low-end riffing and free-flowing liquid lead work. Crozier Conformity's sign-off tune is a masterstroke. Keenan invites a guy from the crowd to play his guitar on a two-chord speedball by Texan punk Legionnaire's Disease. And suddenly Corrosion Conformity are the coolest band in the world. 
You can't go far wrong with a die, die, motherfucker chorus, can you? A small victory snatched from the jaws of defeat. You'd be hard pushed to find a more tight and professional modern metal outfit than Megadeth. In a live setting, however, their very slickness borders on the boring. Megadeth concerts used to be chaotic, unpredictable affairs. Viciously exciting because Dave Mustaine was as mad as a badger and prone to violent mood swings. In 1995, every move seems uh, choreographed and the danger just isn't there. That said, Megadeth are a stunningly proficient bunch. Skin of my teeth and the killing road are sharp and savage, while Nick Menzer's frenetic double bass patterns on Wake Up Dead are a pointed reminder that there was a time when the deaf dudes could justifiably lay claim to their world state-of-the-art speed metal tag. These days, tunes like Atout Le Monde typify the Megadeth sound, lean, muscular and highly melodic. Mustaine and Marty Friedman's fleet fingering harmony solos evoking the memory of metal legends such as Finn Lizzy. Sometimes though, the band's technical excellence is a curse. Holy Wars and especially Hangar 18 are truly horrible, a seemingly never-ending barrage of say-nothing guitar solos. Like Corrosion of Conformity, Megadeth exit on a high. Sweating Bullets allows the crowd a word-perfect sing-along. Symphony of Destruction crunches merrily and Mechanics, not a fucking Metallica song, thrashes about like an angry shark. It's enough to earn a score draw. Overall verdict, clean, precise and graceful. Catwalk Metal? The next review is for Senseless Things live at the Warehouse Derby on Wednesday, March the 1st. This one is reviewed by Paul Travers and this gets Electrocution out of 5, 5 out of 5. With the current punkoid climate, it's sad to find senseless things playing to audiences that are somewhat less than massive. A dive like the warehouse is the perfect place for a gig like this, but really, they deserve more. Three minute chunks of snotball power pop are going platinum elsewhere, which is what the things have been peddling for years. Putting out a new album taking care of business that sounds more than a little like Soul Asylum might seem a tangential progression, but they've not lost sight of the fun and breathless excitement they've always been capable of generating. If anything, they appear to have matured. A shame, but you can't stay an angst-ridden teen forever. Rumours that the senseless things have gone cock rock are of course foot rot. They're less fraggle pop than of yore, and Christine Keeler incites the frown to the crunt into honest-to-goodness headbanging. But there is absolutely no stodge. Mark Keds is a skinny blur of hair and lips, and Morgan Nichols attacks his bass with a series of ticks and nervous energy. It's noisy but tuneful, frantic but not out of control, fun and infectious. They're having fun, we're having fun, and fuck introspection when you can thrash through bikini kills just one reason instead. The only gripe is the lack of older material on the setlist. Only four tracks from Empire of the Senseless. Okay, they've been touring it forever, but no Trevor, no Laura Lamorna, and no Too Much Kissing. At least we still get Keepsake and the beautifully chaotic homophobic arsehole. Metal, pop, or punk, who cares? Senseless Things are the coolest uncool band in the country. Next up, we have Skyclad live at the Roden Club, Athens, Sunday, February the 26th. Reviewed by Chris Watts, this gets electrocution out of five, five out of five. You have never seen anyone so nervous in your entire life as Georgina Biddle tonight. This is her first gig outside the Newcastle folk pub circuit. Last Wednesday, she was a local music teacher and part-time folky. Tonight, she's about to go on stage as Skyclad's new fiddle player in front of 1,500 rabid Greek metal fans, and she is terrified. This is the first gig of the rest of Skyclad's life. This is the kind of gig they should film and then show Weezer. This is why heavy metal was invented. It was invented for Skyclad and specifically for Martin Walkier. This is simply unstoppable. Fuck right off with all the potty pagan stereotyping. It's too easy, too stupid and too narrow-minded these days. Skyclad are the most accomplished metal band in Europe. Out here they were recently voted the third best band in the world behind only Slayer and Metallica and you will be killed if you beg to differ. Out here the crowd not only drown out Spinning Jenny but also sing the violin riff as well. You want to know the best bit? Yeah, sure. The new material wipes the floor with Skyclad's last five albums, particularly Art Nazi, Just What Nobody Wanted and Still Spinning Trapnel. But that's not the point. The best bit of tonight's gig is when Steve Ramsey and George Biddle lock into that patented guitar and violin attack and Steve looks over with this massive look of pride on his face and George crashes to her knees like a true metal trooper and you know that she is the best thing to happen to Skyclad since Fritha quit. From sins of omission to cardboard sea, this is a sweating living attack on all five senses. The sixth sense says that Skyclad may never be this good for a while. Certainly, Skyclad deserve far better than being holed up like lunatic lepers in their native country. 
equally as certain is that this is as good as metal gets. The last review this week is for the John Spencer Blues Explosion, Mule and Capone live at the Lead Mill Sheffield Sunday March the 5th. Reviewed by Meanie, this gets electrocution out of 5, 5 out of 5. That's a lot of electrocution 5 out of 5s this week. It's not often you get the chance to see three genuinely great modern rock bands on the same bill, but tonight was one such majestic, memorable occasion. Capone's blistering album Ugly Dance had already alerted the world to the presence of a powerful new force in the US rock underground. Live, it's nice to be able to say they kick serious ass, inviting comparisons to great power trios of the recent past with their awesome No Means No Like rhythm section and Tim Harris's guitar salvos. The songwriting is sharp, punchy, and they are altogether pretty astonishing. Mule is something very different but no less heavy, a slower, more painful way to go. Mule don't find too much to laugh at. They take that lumbering Neanderthal hillbilly groove, tourniquet it, inject it with the blues and conjure up sinister vibes of seedy bars populated by fist fighting, liquor drinking hicks with facial features in the wrong places. Latest occupant of the oft-vacated mule drum stall, Jason Kokunis added an extra dimension of fuggery with a display of tub thumping befitting his bulldog build. Mule was simply superb, the perfect introduction to tonight's main course. The John Spencer Blues Explosion rock magnificently, and so their more attention-grabbing aspects, the theremin, a weird electronic instrument used in 50s sci-fi movie soundtracks, the irony, and the trashman vocals, are part of a pretty visionary package when they're whopping it out, a true validation of their elevated status. Next up in Kerrang we have a piece entitled War Pigs. One of them starts the day with a wank, another was the most obnoxious kid in school, they're the ultra-happening dub war, and they're chewing the fat with Morat. I think I could be an anarchist one day, dub war bassist Richie smells. It's a rice smell, so you can't really tell whether he's being serious or not. There'll be a revolution one day. Already, after just one album, the acclaimed Pain, released last month through Earache, the Newport 4-piece are starting to fall into that political band bracket. It was, however, purely a matter of convenience that their early recordings were put out via the anarchistic Words of Warning label. Drummer Ginge. If you're a political band, you've usually got some sort of stance, you know. We're not for anything other than just partying, chilling out and being nice to everybody. There's no point in shooting anyone, but like, our song Respected is about the Nazis. Just pointing out certain things that are politically aware. There isn't one track where we say our government is bad. Whoever's in power is going to do the same job. Does it really need pointing out that Nazis are dicks? Surely you're making that point by having a black frontman. Yeah, frowns Ginge, I think it does need to be pointed out because the Nazis are still fucking there. They haven't gone anywhere. You say that to people and they go, there's those Nazis, what the fuck are you on about? There's a lot of racism in Wales, even with normal people who have probably got Asian or black friends, puts in Richie. With their white gang, when they're together, they'll take the piss or make black jokes. So that means racism is still there. Somebody who doesn't agree with it will laugh because they're part of the gang. We're all guilty at some point, admits Ginge. Benji, their enigmatic black singer, would be the first to stand up and say that he was racist himself a couple of years ago. But things like racism and political stunts are usually passed down by your parents. Fortunately, I never had parents who said, you black bastards or anything like that. And when I went to school, there were lots of Asian kids, so I never knew any different. People say they're not racist, but they don't know the meaning of it. A typical example of that is the Man United, Leeds United game on TV. There's a lot of extreme right-wing group Combat 18 people who support Leeds. Their team was losing until they brought on that guy from Africa and he scored a goal. The supporters behind the goal went fucking nuts. That's double standards. Surely, proper education is the answer. Well, that's a start, agrees Ginge. But they teach history to kids at school and it's all from a British point of view about how we fucking took over the world. That's his story, not history. But where Benji lives, there's something like 50 white kids and the rest of them are all Asian or black. The white kids are the minority, so they're getting persecuted for things that their forefathers did that they had nothing to do with and don't even know about. Dub War could easily have taken another path, but music, like boxing in the East End of London, the band have recently sponsored a local boxer, was a way out of a dead-end boring existence. Benji in particular was a hoodlum destined for a life of crime. I've known Benji since I was about 10 years old and he was 6, says Ginge. He was the most obnoxious kid I'd ever come across. He's not like that now, but he was. Instead, the amiable frontman turned to Christianity and music and is clearly seeing rewards from both. The rest of the band are not religious. To me, if you get by on kneeling and praying, then fine, ponders Ginge. 
Personally, I like to get up in the morning, whack MTV on as loud as I can, pick up my drumsticks and start whacking the fuck out of my drum pads. It's whatever gets you through the day. I like to get up, have a shit and a quick wank, skin up a spliff and vegetate all day, chortles Richie unspiritually. Religious or not though, no one seems impressed by the likes of Ice-T perpetuating gang violence and sexism with dumb lyrics. It's pathetic, spits Ginge. That especially makes me sad when you've got somebody like that who's got a following and a vibe and he could do something with it rather than going on about I'm this and I'm that and I shot someone. I was well into rap and hip hop when it first started, but when it started getting like that it was crap. It's like this territory thing size Ginge. I'm from Wales and you're from England. I'm the original native of this land, you're not. It's bullshit. The world is the world. Take a track like Mental and the line murder in the backyard. What? Somebody got murdered in your backyard? No. But if somebody gets murdered in America, that's my backyard. This is our fucking planet. If you're American, black, white, green, red or Martian and you want to come and live in Wales, then carry on. There's no need to give anybody any shit about it. I don't own Wales. I just got born there. All the shit in this world starts from, I was born there and I'm proud to be this or that. It's bollocks. When I moved to London, recalls Ginge, I used to get, where's your sheep and all that sort of crap, which is water off the ducks back to me. Water off the ducks back, Richie Sniggers. Are you shagging ducks now as well? Much has been made of the similarities between Dub War and the mighty Faith No More and Bad Brains. But what do the band, who are completed by guitarist Jeff, think of the comparisons? Well, I've heard the Faith No More album, The Real Thing, and that epic is a good song, but the rest of it's crap, opines Richie. I've got a Bad Brains LP, but I don't listen to it because I haven't got a record player. I've heard it twice, which is not enough times to be influenced by it. Benji's voice does sound a bit like Mike Patton on our song Gorrit, says Ginge. I know it wasn't intentional, but he had the Faith No More album or that single and was well into it. That's what music's all about though, isn't it? Being influenced by people and then coming up with your own ideas. Benji was saying it's a good thing really because kids who've not heard us yet, if they like Faith No More and Bad Brains will check us out. It's a compliment too, because if you're anywhere near as good as those bands, then it's fucking brilliant. I think we're better than Faith No More, laughs Richie. They're crap. Anyway, I thought you were going to ask us if we're breaking down musical barriers or something. Well, are you? No. We now come to communication, and unfortunately it's been scaled back to a single page this week. I'm not sure if that's an editorial thing, or if because no one was that angry this week, but let's find out. Letter of the week begins, Exactly what is this crap about Donington? Just because they can't find a large enough headliner shouldn't mean the show's off. Despite having lost interest in Aerosmith after Pump and always having despised Extreme, I still went last year and fucking enjoyed it. When Whitesnake headlined, they were shit and had been for some time, but it was still very popular. The headliners are not everything. Otherwise, about 10 people would have turned up when Status Quo played. A strong support lineup is far more important. With acts like Brian May, Megadeth, Metallica, Neil Young and Pearl Jam, Plant and Page, Slash's Snake Pit, The Almighty and Faith No More on the main stage and the likes of The Wild Hearts, Terrorvision, Thunder, Blow, Paradise Lost, Curb Dog, Die Cheerleader and Foo Fighters to choose from for the second stage, a very attractive bill could easily be assembled. Any of the first five acts could sell enough tickets to make the show worthwhile on their own. So can we stop crying because ACDC can't do it again and look at the quality acts that could? Andy J. Nelson from Leeds. Hopefully, a prize of this Karen cap will keep you happy till we have more news about Dunnington. Editor. Dunnington in doubt, issue 535. What the hell is going on? Is rock dead? I think not. The UK cannot afford to lose its greatest rock festival. Yes, I see the difficulty in finding a headliner that will sell tickets, but people go to Donington for the party and atmosphere as well as the music. For Donington to die would be a great shame. And I think I speak for many others. I can now but only hope. Come on, Morris Jones, get it sorted. The tattooed lady, Compton Bassett. What the hell is happening? It was all bad news in Kerrang 535. Donington may be cancelled for the second time in three years. This is pretty bad news. But the worst is that Richie James is still missing. Everyone knows what he's been through. When Richie broke down, people felt sympathetic. Now they just want him home. Back in October last year, I experienced a night of pure energy and enjoyment when Terrorvision played with the Tottenhosen and Baby Chaos. Perhaps instead, I should have grasped my last opportunity to see the Mannix in Cardiff that same night. Please, Richie, prove me wrong. Nick from Bristol. Gagging for a shagging. Forget Tony Wright, forget Eddie Vedder, even forget John Bon Jovi. I'm convinced that the sexiest man on earth has got to be Mike Borden from Faith No More. 
Please print a picture of him in gagging for a shagging. A sad git such as Axl Rose and Brett Michaels usually grace the pages of Kerrang when they are not even worthy. Rebecca from Leak. Oi Kerrang, that article Motley Screw, issue 535, about the rock stars, their birds and how they are connected was the best bit of investigative journalism I've ever read. There have been times over the years when you've annoyed the tits off me, and times when I've loved other things you've written. But for it all, there's one thing you've always had, it's a sense of humour. Working at Kerrang Towers must be nothing if not a hoot. Diamond Dave, Newport. Faith No More. Don't bother no more. After being a Faith No More fan since before the success of The Real Thing, I thought the chance to witness the band in Portsmouth at the start of the tour was too good to miss. But it seems that the band are frustrated thrash metal merchants. And whilst the usual mayhem ensued at the front, from the middle to the back the opinion seemed to be that they were dull. At least they won't need to come back and play the bigger halls. Paul, Southampton. I used to think Rain was a music magazine, but now it's just something that stupid little boys wank over because they can't reach the top shelf of the newsagent. I do not buy your magazine to look at Pamela Anderson week after week. Okay, so she had something going with Brett Michaels, so maybe a small picture was significant a couple of months ago, but a double page spread? I don't think so. She is completely irrelevant to what Kerrang is supposed to be about. So she and Toppy Lee got married? So fucking what? I hate you all. Someone who used to buy Kerrang, Cambridge. Ill communication. We now come to this week's cover stars. Are you trying to get me to say I'm mad? Face to face and in your face. The Kerrang interview by Stefan Chirazzi. Anarchist, politician, spiritualist. Is Megadeth main man Dave Mustaine a metal messiah or is he just a loony ex-junkie? We strip away the bullshit for his most revealing interview ever. Since the day he was born, Dave Mustaine has never been far from chaos and unpredictability. On one hand, his 33 years on this planet have seen the Megadeth star conceive some of the finest heavy metal riffs ever heard. On the other, he's been seen as outspoken, aggressor, drug addict, dictator, songwriter, and more recently, kinder, gentler, sober, married, father. In other words, he is a personality of gargantuan proportions. He's never the easiest of people to work out, often living very much in the moment of his moods, which are, by his own admission, a touch Jekyll and Hyde. And it is that very combination which has often seen Megadeth hit soaring artistic heights, only to suffer when least expected. In many respects, Mustaine has often been his own worst enemy. Years of drug and alcohol abuse, now well documented, took their toll on him, and his ability to let fly from the mouth has sometimes landed him in trouble. And there has always been the Metallica situation, an issue that lingers forever in Mustaine's mind. It's a monkey which the singer can't seem to shake off, and one which sometimes seems to have overshadowed his own considerable platinum-encrusted achievements. On a cloudy Saturday morning over coffee, black with ice cubes and a straw, at La Maison Sofitel in Hollywood, Mustaine has brought his reflective, pensive and very much quieter self to the table for the Kerrang! interview. It feels as though Mustaine doesn't trust me. We've been doing interviews together since 1986 and I have seen him go through many changes, many phases in his life. Many of you have followed these changes yourselves via the pages of Kerrang, where Dave has always been generous and as honest as he can be in print. Yet I get the impression, more than once during our conversation, that Mustaine feels I'm trying to corner him. Nothing could be further from the truth. Dave Mustaine will always say what Dave Mustaine feels. No journalist can make him do anything else. For Dave Mustaine, life will always be a series of navigations through choppy waters. The success of that voyage, like the man's moods, is always subject to change. Kerrang! Let's start with the current tour. How's it going? Where are you at mentally with it? Mentally, I'm alright. Today is the last day of the American leg of the tour. Every leg we've done so far has been successful. On that South American leg, it was real obvious to us that it'd be real hard for us if we ever make a live album, just trying to know where we would tape it. The South American audience is very animated. This leg in the United States has been during a struggling economy with a dying musical culture. Plus, two other bands who are of the same genre that we are, Slayer and Pantera, have also been touring through the snow. So given all those variables, it's been as good as we could make it. When you say dying genre, well, that's what the metal scene's supposed to be doing. I don't think that's the case. If I remember correctly, in 1980, things were being said along the same lines and there was an explosion right after those words. So it's very cyclical. What do you think about the fact that now, more than ever, MTV controls the American music industry? It's just part of the information superhighway. Before television and media generally weren't as big on music, it was to be listened to, but now it's become visual. And as digital illustration, virtual reality and the cyber format become more prominent, the music becomes a little more in the background. 
The visual becomes more of the entertainment, and for some people who can hear music in a region where they can't get to see the show, it's just as good to watch MTV. Well, yes, but how do you feel about it? After all, Megadeth were one of the first bands to go online with an internet site, the Interactive Worldwide Computer Network. It's had a great reaction, but it's another step away from music being the main focus. I kind of think that if you ignore the surroundings, you'll be left behind. It's just the way of the future right now. The most beneficial thing about the internet is being able to instantaneously correspond with our fans. Do you get on the internet a lot? Yes, a lot of people have asked a lot of questions about the past and I've done a lot of clarifying. Not trying to make myself seem right which is the hardest part for me because I find myself trying to give my side of the story all the time. Someone will say something like why don't you make a record like Rust in Peace again and I understand what they're saying. Some of these kids are prophetic because I said to the band, now we've done these last two records, a technically perfect one and a very melodic and introspective record, maybe it's time to just haul us through the whole thing like the Death's first LP, Killing Is My Business. Then I listened to Killing Is My Business and that record was 100 miles an hour. I listened to it in a dressing room in Philadelphia and I asked the guys, man, what was I on? You actually played Mechanics from that first LP last night. Yes, we hadn't been playing any songs from the first album because of a dispute with our first record company, but we figured that it was really not fair to the fans to do that. So now we can do mechanics, and we also tried out looking down the cross at Soundcheck. We might bring that one out when we go through the states again in the summer. That stuff is great if you're playing in a club, in a close environment where there's not a lot of reflex in the building. But when you get into a real big building, by the time I've hit my fourth note, the first one's hit the edge of the stage, and I've done 20 more by the time that first part um, hit the back of the building. That's part of the mentality. When you put a fresh band into an arena, that's why they don't really sound good. They're playing too fast for the acoustics of the building. A lot of times, we go into buildings and look at the ceiling and gauge what songs we were playing there. It took us a long time to choose the setlist we're playing now. We get a lot of fans suggesting songs over the internet. What's your state of mind these days in comparison to a few years ago? Has your family given you a sense of stability? My family right now is probably 75% of where I get my physical strength from. The other 25% is from the free band members, but I think getting too retrospective is a little dangerous. There was a time where you like to look back and analyse, when there was a lot of stuff to look for. So you feel you've come through everything and you've comfortably moved forward. Yeah, let's move forward. What about your own inner peace? Do you feel you're finally achieving it? You've said to me in the past that you've lacked confidence and doubted yourself. Has that gone away? There's times where anybody's going to feel these things. That's part of human psyche. I think if we were perfect, then we wouldn't doubt ourselves and we wouldn't question things. I don't really think that I have a multiple personality disorder, but there's a lot of times where I do. There's a lot of times where my personality changes very dramatically. Most notably in the past, when you were off your trolley. That doesn't count right now, I'm talking about when I'm on stage and off stage. Even when I was or wasn't off my trolley, whatever, there was still a difference. It wasn't about saying anything or feeling anything, it would be like a lot of stuff going on at the same time. Singing and playing and keeping track of mistakes, thinking of ways to improve things, seeing things you don't like, watching the fans and looking at them and thinking what they're going to say to them, and thinking what they're going to say to you. A lot of stuff to take care of. Yeah. You've got a gyro going on in your head of all the information that is pertinent and relevant at the time and keeping a chronological hold of the stuff that's happened since the beginning of the show. We still do that now. We experience things to hone our craft, but instead of carrying this log of things we want to improve, I just tell my guitar tech between songs so that I'm not walking around keeping score. But there was a time when everything with you was so fatalistic, the glass was always half empty. Are you trying to get me to say I'm crazy or something? No. I'm actually trying to get you to come around and talk about this inner peace I understand that you've been feeling. I then explained to Mustaine off tape that he's willingly discussed his mental state over the years and that this is a continuation of those discussions. He doesn't seem entirely convinced. So let's talk about this inner peace stuff. First of all, do you have it? I don't think anybody has it. To have it would mean it would be there forever. But it's something you have to work on. It's not that one day you wake up and you have it on a bottle on your shelf. But do you feel a greater sense of inner peace or not? Continuing from his previous answer and ignoring the question, I mean, even the highest spiritual leader will have moments of turmoil. Okay then, let's change the subject. Let's discuss the food drive, which have taken place on the US leg of the tour. You've done a lot of good getting kids to bring food for charity in exchange for a backstage pass. We see 200 fans every night as part of this food drive thing. The impetus behind it was Dave Ellison and I living in the van when we first started out. We wanted to thank the people that had helped us from the beginning. 
There were a lot of people we knew that we'd never see. So this was a way of not necessarily getting to that person, but getting to every person as a whole. Anonymous charity. The food drive was the obvious way to go. We settled on 200 people a night who bring some food and get to meet the band. We play for an hour and a half, then we shake hands for an hour. Then we got to meet record company and store people too. It's a lot of hard work, but I think what we're doing right now is being ambassadors of goodwill. Really going back and doing some damage repair. Do you mean by damage repair that you feel you have some ground to make up with people? I don't particularly feel that I owe any one person. I owe nothing to anyone other than the people I've taken things from. Some people have come up and said, you slept in our house and don't you remember hanging out with me and partying? Now, granted, that's not my life anymore, but I still need to thank them for that period of time. They might have spent a paycheck to have got me loaded when that was all that mattered to me. There's a lot of these people that I'll never see again. Some of them have died. So in their good name, we're doing this. It's a continuation of goodwill. I know that now there's another heavy metal band that will do the same thing. Maybe not right away, but they will. And it's just a matter of the word community. Do you want that sense of community in terms of Megadeth and their fans or the genre as a whole? When I first started Megadeth, the fans in the band were inseparable, joined at the hip. Looking back at the big four, uh, one of them went to untouchable elevations to an altitude that a lot of people can't reach and part of the big four broke up and fell on their face. With a food drive, you get a sense of community again. When you hit Britain this week, will you be trying to re-energize the old metal communal vibe amongst the new fans? For a while, all of the big four were going up. Things happened, we were part of that fragment of the big four where we were getting to an altitude where we were untouchable by our fans. We kind of went, okay, time to quit going to outer space. Let's get back to where the human element is. What was the crunch for you? For me personally, it was not being able to go anywhere without being recognized or approached. I don't think anybody really thinks, hey, Dave's 33, he doesn't relate to us anymore. It will never be that way because my ears aren't painted on. I listen to what people say to us. We're a band of the people, by the people and for the people. Let's talk about politics. You've been known as a political spokesperson largely because of your coverage of the US Democratic Party convention for MTV in 1992. Where do you stand right now as far as the political situation is concerned? I saw something the other day in a magazine where a band got some award from Rock the Vote for their political involvement this year. R.E.M. got it last year and I was thinking, where the fuck am I? It's the faces behind the scenes that actually get things done. And I was this very big visual and focal forerunner of the whole Rock the Vote thing. But because I was in a little heavy metal band called Megadeth, R.E.M. got the award. Granted, it would probably be a doorstop at my house, but I got it. But, uh, but I was just thinking about it. My Democratic and Republican convention coverage was something I was approached to do because I know how to talk to the young generation. But I mean, I don't see myself as some Jimmy Carter figure. Are you happy with the way that life for your son, Justice, is working out? Yeah, definitely. He's a good boy. I've got a 540 power book, laptop computer, that he does learning games and puzzles and spelling games on. He's very polite. He's upstairs in the room right now. He eats and sleeps very well. Every night you go to sleep, they're a day smarter. And just when you think I've got him sorted out, they wake up the next morning with a whole new set of designs of how to get one over on good old dad. Has justice helped make you calmer, made you less bothered with the industry? I think if anything it's made me much closer to our fans because you see how precious they really all are. You see how their lives at one time went down the wrong road and you just accept them for who they are and love them when they can't love themselves. And you know, they can still throw their devil sign at you and roll their eyes back and growl and say fuck yeah, but inside they know you care about them. It's a good feeling. Finally, let's talk about the euthanasia album artwork, the concept behind it and why it was banned in many Asian countries. We didn't say, okay, we want you to put some babies on strings going across the countryside with an old woman hanging them out. I explained the lyrics to the artist and told him it should be illustrative of kids being hung out to dry. I always felt that when a child gets any sense of autonomy, child meaning from fetus to 95 years old, the people around them, who are the predominant parents, get pissed off. I see a well-behaved child and I think the parents have done a good job. If the kid's a little monster, you think, what kind of parent would let a kid be like that? And the parents say, I tried. When parents throw their hands up like that, they're taking their kid, holding them upside down and clipping them to that clothesline. The people that don't like the cover are the ones who put those babies up there. The countries that have centred the sleeve are Thailand, Malaysia and Singapore. Britain had a problem with the babies in the Train of Consequences video. MTV won't show the babies. They put squares over the babies in the video for Train of Consequences. They play the real version after midnight, but you know, that's okay, because they are playing it and people will come around. Before they wouldn't even play Megadeth because they thought the name was offensive and the subject matter was too illustrative and anarchistic. 
There's always going to be a streak of reactionary behaviour of anarchy in you, right Dave? Anarchy, by the layman's term, well most louts think anarchy is kicking in a store window. It's much more organised than that. There's a rebel in me that won't go away, and that's pretty obvious in the music. I play guitar rhythms that most people can't play, and I sing on top of it. I only know a couple of people who can do that. That's the rebel in me. Defying the odds. And granted, it's hard. It's like riding a bike, bowling, and having sex at the same time. But it's one of those things. I get pleasure out of defying the odds. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record. It was so heavy, it couldn't get off the turntable. We now come to albums. And the album of the week this week is various. Kerrang! The Album Volume 2, The Cutting Edge. Kerrang! says... It's value for mayhem and a monster metal-tastic style. The Big Kerrang's second compilation is a throbbing big hit with guest reviewer Nick Holmes of Paradise Lost. So this review is by Nick Holmes and he gives this record 4Ks. Well, what a fucking incredible compilation of head-riveting molten metallurgy from the Big Kerrang. Sucker Punch kicks off those crazy Kerrang office smashing cats to wild hearts blast out in true tradition. It's okay, but a caffeine bomb would have been nicer. The best biohazard track ever follows Tales from the Hard Side, kicks you in the balls with power or clitoris for the female readers, or both for hermaphrodite readers. It's a great track, as is Davidian by Machine Head, a full-on honest metal attack with a finale riff that would make a dead man dance. Sepultura's offering Slave New World is not quite as potent as other tracks on their acclaimed Chaos ADLP, but it's as heavy as a pregnant walrus, so what the hell? But why oh why is the Red Hot Chili Peppers is under the bridge on this album? It may as well have been Freebird. This song is older than Father Time. How many times can we hear this song? Bad choice. Unfortunately, Freak of Nature and Head Swim aren't particularly up my alley. And although worthy contributions to the CD, the tracks fail to get my branded seal of approval. While Terrorvision and Census seem odd choices for a metal compilation, or maybe I'm just a narrow-minded tool, whatever. But the CD picks up again towards the end. Jonestown Mind crunches with a great chorus from the Almighty. A worthy contribution is True Belief from Paradise Lost. It pounds, only surpassed by their fucking tearfully good new LP Draconian Times, blah blah. Moving on, other high points are The Excellent Broken Man by Corrosion of Conformity, who definitely captured the excitement of the old Sabbath shit. Another surprise is the Cry of Love track Bad Thing, or is that Bad Company? I don't know if it sits comfortably on this compilation, but I like it anyway. Crazy Ice T's body count song Born Dead also provides some entertaining listening, unlike the Manic Street Preacher's Revolt, which fails to cook my juices, unfortunately. And Skin's Money reminds me of 1.30am on a Saturday night, stuck to the floor in a nightclub about to vomit. Oh dear. Overall though, this is a great compilation, or cavalcade, or corrosive chrome-plated chaos, well worthy of donning the old studded wristbands and bullet belt again. I like it, I do, I do, I do, I do, but damn that otter to shite town. Uh, he means the track The Damn Otter Creek by Live. Editor. The next review is for Dopes to Infinity by Monster Magnet. Reviewed by Jason Arnott, this gets 4Ks. Psychedelic Rock is back with a big bang. It's Monster Magnet's third cosmic voyage around the universe of heaviosity, and this time, their retroactive sounds pack a far more acidic punch. 1991 Spine of God debut and 93 Super Judge were interestingly freaky chunks of Hulk Quinn's Sabbath meandering, but adopted much the same dusty production jobs of those old greats. Dopes to Infinity finally sees Monster Magnet getting the budget to craft mountains of weighty weirdness. You immediately know things are in order when the title track kicks off with an obese, Iomi worthy riff. It turns out to be six minute epic but Negasonic Teenage Warhead is the dynamic tune which could well break these New Jersey burnouts in the way they've needed. Originally previewed on the SFW film soundtrack, Negasonic has just the kind of anthemic defiant attitude that slackers might warm to. American College Radio won't know what slapped it when Windows starts yelling, I will deny you baby. It's not just the sonic quality that's taken an upgrade, the songwriting's noticeably come along with most of this stuff proving less indulgent than before and more instantly memorable. It seems like Dave Windorf has seriously worked on his vocal lines this time. Not only do they cut through with crystal clarity, but they're intended to remain in your brain. Exactly what he's crooning about is another matter. Something about talking to Saturn and having monkeys living in your head. Another potential hit is the haunting acoustical blow em off 
with orchestral touches and one of Windolf's best vocals, I Control, I Fly, offers a welcome piece of rampaging rock, while Dead Christmas slings in some highly dawsy keyboards. Dopes is a fine varied album for anyone with at least half an ear devoted to old shit. It'll make more sense when viewed from the dark side of the moon, but remember kids, don't try drugs at home, toilet cubicles are a far safer bet. Next up we have Black Sabbath with their album Cross Purposes Live. Reviewed by Malcolm Dome, this gets 2Ks. The problem with Black Sabbath these days is that as far as most people are concerned, the illustrious name should be laid to rest. All of which means that some superb music is being actively ignored. Because recent incarnations of Sabbath have made some magnificent LPs, Headless Cross and Cross Purposes particularly. But the argument about whether the band should change their name isn't relevant here. What matters is the music, and it doesn't do the Sabbath legend any good. This video CD package recorded at Hammersmith Apollo last year just isn't exciting. Tony Martin proves himself to be a fine singer, at least on his own stuff and material from the Dio era, but he has all the charisma of a Hovis loaf. Tony Iommi plays magnificently, but is virtually immobile, whilst drummer Bobby Rondinelli is just irritating. Only Geezer Butler genuinely rocks out. The band performed 16 songs spanning their entire career, save for the Gillen period, and do no service to the Sabbath name. And the CD only has 13 tracks, missing are Mob Rules, Anno Monday, and Neon Nights, which makes for a hardly essential purchase. The next album reviewed is Cracked Rear View by Hootie and the Blowfish. Reviewed by Mark Blake, this gets 4Ks. Like US Money Spinners Collective Soul and Counting Crows, Hootie and the Blowfish deal in tuneful hard rock for the post-Nirvana generation. They're a Carolina bar band with countless road miles on the clock and their major label debut is a rootsy experience. Notable for singer Darius Rucker's gravelly vocals and a folksy flavour which begs comparison to forgotten men like the Hooters and Driving and Crying. Cracked Rearview is essentially an AOR record, but one which shrewdly takes its cue from REM rather than REO Speedwagon. Don Gearman's production is sympathetic to songs that are for the most part beautifully structured and engagingly simple. Only the current single Hold My Hand, with its gospel choir and the sobbing stadium ballad Goodbye, venture into big rock territory. More impressive are Hannah Jane, Let Her Cry and Running With An Angel where the Blowfish bar band expertise is employed over four minute slices of lightweight melodic rock, shot through with nagging refrains. Some might balk at the scraping fiddle and jangling guitars, another step down that road and they'd be Bruce Hornsby and the range, but 30 something rock fans will be changing their underwear the moment they hear this record. A definite hit. The last album reviewed this week is Born Annoying by Helmet. Reviewed by Paul Brannigan, this gets 4Ks. Was it just me or was Helmet's last album Betty something of a disappointment? The massive trenchant roar which was so enthralling on Strap It On and Meantime was blunted somewhat by T-Ray's sharp production. But fear not, lovers of raw Helmet, Born Annoying is the canine's gonads. First things first, Born Annoying is not strictly speaking a new Helmet album. It's a 10 song collection of early rare and unreleased tracks from the New York Master Blasters and it's chock full of great head cleaning noise. Helmet's critics often miss the point about Paige Hamilton and co. If you want rock music with a smiling face, listen to Terrorvision. If you want politics, listen to Vagazzi. If however you want full on strip bare no fucking prisoners riffs, then Helmet are the men for the job. The two previously unreleased tunes included here are Vintage Full Throttle Helmet. Shirley MacLaine is a six minute slice of precision and power and thundering riffs. Geisha To Go jerks along one of the band's splendidly awkward grooves, brutish and brilliant. Other choice cuts include the biting Taken, the heart-stopping No Nicky No, and two brutally heavy takes on the title track complete with deaf lead breaks from the departed Peter Mangede. Best of all is the Savage Primitive, cheese-wired guitar slicing a huge dry-humping bass. Born Annoying is helmet as they should be heard, fierce, pure, and louder than bombs. Chart Attack and the number one album this week is It's Five O'Clock Somewhere by Slash's Snake Pit. Number one in the indie LPs is Ultraphobic by Warrant, and number one in the singles chart is Digging the Grave by Faith No More. The reader's chart this week comes from Errol from London. His chart begins 1. Beyond the Great Vast Forest Emperor, 2. Sear Me My Dying Bride, 3. As I Die Paradise Lost, 4. In My World Anthrax, 5. Badlands Metal Church, 
Six Under the Runes Baffery, seven Her Black Wings Danzig, eight Time and Place Rage, nine Plastic Town Power Mad, and ten Stargazer Rainbow. The star tracks this week come from Trouble's Eric Wagner. His chart begins one, Revolver the Beatles, two Greatest Hits, Credence Clearwater Revival, three Purple Stone Temple Pilots, four Plastic Green Head Trouble, and five Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin. Next week in Kerrang! Back Issues. Life After Nirvana, can Dave Grohl do it again? Read the first live review of his new band Foo Fighters and exclusive details of their debut album, plus more Seattle scoops on Alice in Chains, Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. Thunder Brit Tour package revealed, the best bill ever, question mark. Skid Row screaming at your live, the first review in bloody ages. Pantera, Anselmo in racist git storm, plus deicide, Faith No More, Monster Magnet, Wild Hearts, and more Virgin Vouchers. Thank you as always for listening. We will be back next Wednesday. Um, hopefully my throat will be a lot better by then. Um, it's it's made it through. It's made it through another week. Um, yeah, it was, it was a bit tricky at parts, but I guess that's the lingering issues that's always going to happen with coronavirus. Anyway, talk to you all soon. Hope you're all doing well out there. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week, like I said. Bye for now.